you called it the other day, a, a beast. You know what I mean? That anatomy is a bit of a beast and you have to tame it. And once you do, it's really gratifying. And you get that big machine that doesn't listen to you and you tweak it in into where it can make high volume good parts, then there's something really gratifying about that. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on today's show is Elliot May, engineer at BME in Port Huron, Michigan. BME builds creative custom attachments for cam multi-spindles. They also rebuild Acme Gridley screw machines. Elliot and I talked about a lot of fascinating things in this interview. How to keep old mechanical beasts relevant, getting young people into machining, and what it's like to work closely every day with your dad, who's also the boss. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Elliot May, engineer at BME in Port Huron, Michigan. Welcome to the show, Elliot. Thank you for having me, Noah. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is great. I interviewed Elliot's father, Brett, uh, a long time ago. It was a, a really interesting podcast. He had all kinds of interesting inventions he brought on the show. I could try to summarize what your company does myself, but I'm just going to, before we go any further, ask you to um, summarize BME in a nutshell. Yeah. So BME makes custom attachments for the screw machine industry. So we make shave heads and recess attachments, things like that as well. But kind of our bread and butter is making custom attachments for our customers to solve their problems. And uh, that's what I really enjoy doing. And uh, hopefully we can do that for a long time in the future. And uh, we also rebuild Agma Gridley screw machines as well. So we have a rebuild department and then an attachment department. Right. You know, what, what you told me before is that people come to you when they have a part they're making and they say, you can't do this on an Acme. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll say, well, at least let us try, you know. Exactly. Because though cam screw machines, some would argue are a dying breed, they can still crank out parts like nothing else to not have to buy a CNC machine or a CNC multi-spindle machine that's going to be a million dollars. You know, it's a it's great. Isn't quite as complicated as say even you know putting a CNC slide on a machine, which you guys do, correct? You do make CNC. That's correct. Yep. Yep. But that's not your first option, right? When somebody will come to you and they want to do a second op on a machine, your first notion isn't let's go to CNC slide, correct? Well, I mean, it would depend on the application. If somebody's got a, a 
thread on a thin piece of aluminum that they can't roll. And it's like, well, that might be something to look at. But um, if they're trying to drill a cross hole or something, then uh, we, we look at it and try to find an attachment that we've made that fits that. And then if we haven't made that attachment before, then we would brainstorm and come up with a solution for that. Yeah. Okay. I want to get to the attachments in just a minute. But first, I want you to give me a very brief life story of how you got into the business. Give me the three-minute bio. So I grew up uh, always being pretty mechanically inclined. I think I get that from my dad because he's very mechanically inclined and he works with his hands. You know, So I kind of inherited that from him. So from a young age, uh, this was my first job at BME. So I just started out in the shop, you know, running some of the simpler equipment and uh, helping produce parts. And then I moved into shipping and receiving here at BME and then eventually into the engineering. I did take a little hiatus and I moved out to Colorado for a little bit, but then I came back and uh, took the engineering on full time and I've just kind of tried to keep growing in that. And that's where I'm at currently. So Okay. So... Your father, Brett, he started the company 15 years ago? That's correct. Yeah, 15 years in 2022. Okay. And then you started coming to the shop when you were, what, 14? or 14, yeah. 14. That's funny because I was talking to him before and he said 12, but uh, you would know better. Well, I was probably at the shop, but I don't know if I was working at 12. Mm -hmm. So you started coming to the shop and what were you doing when you first came to the shop? So I'd run our bandsaw. So we used to get our steel in longer bars. So I'd look at the prints and uh, cut the steel to length. You know, pretty early process, but a lot of the parts that we made came through there. So I just had the blocks of steel in my hands and it was kind of a dirty job and it wasn't too complicated. So it worked well for a 14 year old. And then you did some other jobs working up through high school? I just worked here. Uh, No, but I mean, at the shop, did you do anything else? So I did the shipping and receiving for a little while. And then I eventually moved into doing the assembly of the attachments. I really enjoyed that a lot because being mechanically inclined and I like putting stuff together. You know what I mean? It it was very satisfying process. So for a couple of years, I put most of our attachments together. You knew that this was the thing that made you tick. Yeah, I loved it. You know, I really enjoyed coming to work and you know, I haven't solving problems, whether it be putting an attachment together or something else in the shop. Like I said, I, I just really enjoy that putting things together. It seems like, a, you know, you have a, a passion for it. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about what you guys do at BME, because, you know, we have a lot of listeners out there. They used to have multi-spindles and they just run CNC's right now, or, or maybe people that run CNC's and they're sort of intrigued by those beasts, you know, with multi-spindles that can churn out parts by the millions. But people have labeled them archaic, you know, primitive. They're disenchanted with them because of several different, you know, they take more operations to do or it's hard to find people to run them. So tell me a few of the cool tricks you guys have come up with, you know, cool attachments. I met Brett May from BME uh, working for Graf Pinkert. He had come um, and put some attachments on a Wickman machine. Tell us about a few of the things you've done. You've brought a few things with you on video. So I want you to hold those up and give a very, very detailed description of it for people that aren't watching. The first one, I'll I'll show a, a polygon part, a polygon milled part. It's got a hex on it, but you can see that that hex is a smaller width than the diameter of the part. So you can't buy hex stock, so you have to mill it on your machine. This is one of our kind of bread and butter attachments. We really enjoy this attachment. We've made a lot of them. What is it called? A polygon what? Polygon mill. 
So uh, that same attachment can produce a hex on a part like this, or with a slight gearing change can produce a thread milled part. Uh, you put a thread milled cutter on it, and then uh, that attachment can come in and, and thread mill the part as well. So what, we really enjoy that attachment, and uh, I've made a lot of those, and I've designed a lot of the tooling for those, so I like those. But then, so, so could you buy uh, something like that from somebody else as well, or is this something that you guys have come up with your own design on? We've come up with our own design on it, but uh, I know that we do have one or two competitors out there that make something similar. I believe that ours are, are a lot more robust. You know, they're sturdy attachments, and I, I really enjoy that about them. I like the, our, the gearing options that we have with them. For a lot of the sizes, you can switch between either a one-to-one attachment for thread milling or like a two-to-one attachment if you want to produce a hex on a part. Uh, that same attachment can also produce like two flats across from each other. So it doesn't have to be a hex, uh, but you just change the gear, either the gearing or the amount of cutters that you have or something like that. And then you can produce like two, three, one, or six flats on a part. It's, it's pretty versatile in the different shapes that you can generate. What else do you got? Yeah, so I have this part, which uh, the, the part itself is very simple. It has a hole in it and then uh, some features. It's like a cylindrical part. How big is it? Like one inch diameter? It's maybe five-eighths diameter, somewhere in there. But you can see that around the side of it, there are four holes that are all perpendicular to each other. And the holes themselves are maybe a sixteenth. So they're fairly small. And then they, they break through into the ID of that part. So we made that part on an Agna Gridley without stopping the spindle. And it was all in process. There's no secondary work done to this part. That attachment syncs up with the spindle in whichever position you choose to mount it in, it mounts on the tool slide, and then it moves forward on the index. And then as they're synced up, it drills four holes that are perpendicular to each other as the whole unit is turning. That is really interesting. That was one of the first attachments that we made at BME. Brett made that in the little CNC shop in his barn. That attachment has a lot of history with us. I've never had anybody tell me that they could cross drill without spindle stopping on a cam multi-spindle. So that seems pretty interesting to me. Yeah, I've never seen another attachment like it myself. That's not to say it's not out there, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Now, what else do you got? So uh, this is a, a shave roll bracket that we designed and manufactured. So this mounts on a shave head. And I don't have a roll for it right now, but the roll goes in here, right, through that hole. Or there, the roll pin goes through there. And then instead of going into your machine and, you know, cracking a couple bolts loose, making an adjustment on an adjustment screw with a wrench, you can instead reach in and then this little dial turns and it's spring loaded and every click changes your part by a couple tenths as it rolls. So it just pushes the roll up just a little bit instead of having to adjust it and using some finesse. Your operator can lean in there, click it a couple times, and then now your part's within tolerance. Very cool. Yeah, this bolts right on a um, the customer shave head. So we've made them for a couple different sizes and, and we're expanding that product line. Right so some of these attachments, I mean, how many of those can you sell? Like the stuff you've just shown me, have you sold hundreds of them or? Yeah. I mean, we've sold a, a lot of these fine adjust roll brackets. The first customer that we made them for, actually, they bought a couple uh, at the start and then they got them. And then a couple months later, we got an order for 20. They started using them and they love them so much, they put them on all their machines. So now every time we sell them a shave head, they also order one of those fine adjust roll brackets. And they've been a pretty good customer of ours. There's definitely a need for something like that. And that company, it works really well for, and they, they convert all their machines to have those. So how much does that cost? I believe this one costs about $1,500. So it, it is a little bit pricey, but there's some nice things on it. And it saves your operator a lot of time and a lot of headache when they're trying to bring a part in tolerance. 
Sure. And what about the other attachments that you showed? How much do you think those would cost? I'd have to look up the pricing on the, the cross drill, but a polygon unit costs about 12, 13,000, depending on the size of machine, because they do scale up and down depending on, you know, if you're working on three quarters, it's going to be a lot smaller unit than a two and five, eight, eight. Isn't it amazing how you can buy an Acme for 25 grand, 15 grand, yet then there's an attachment on it <laughs> that costs more than the machine? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, but you know, if that attachment saves you a secondary operation, then, you know, you remove that whole operation from your part process and that can be extremely valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. How often are you coming up with some like totally new innovation or even a a slight tweak on a part that you guys haven't done before? Yeah. Um, I'd say for for slight tweaks to attachments all the time. I usually have something on my desk that that I'm taking attachment that we have that converting it, making it slightly different, like a like a polygon. I usually have it's pretty frequent where I need to design a little bit of tooling or something like that or different attachments, tweaking them in some way to where it works for the customer's application. I'd say that's pretty frequent. And then a fresh design is a few times a year you know, from something that we've completely never made before. So a completely new attachment. What, what's something that you, that this year, you know, we're at the first podcast of uh, 2022. So what was something notable that you guys came up with in 2021? Something totally new or at least like a really significant, you know, alteration on something? Yeah. So uh, one of the attachments that we made this year was an offset synchronous milling attachment. So uh, if you have a part that has a slot from the end, if it's closer to the center line, then we've done that before. And uh, I'm pretty proud of those attachments, the synchronous milling. But we had a customer who had a need to where they needed to put a flat on the side of a part that was very offset and deep from the center line. So in that case, we couldn't use the, the mill that we had because it's designed to be closer to the center line. But then on this one, we made the, the head much wider and then offset the blade on it to where it looks pretty cool. And there were some different counterweighting challenges to where while it's synced up with the spindle, it needed to not throw itself out of tolerance from the weight. So there were some unique challenges with that. So an offset synchronous milling attachment. Interesting. Then the company has an Acme rebuilding business and you know you, you have an interesting synergy between the two businesses. Tell me about that. I, I'm assuming this year you've been just slammed with work on that. Yeah, yeah. We definitely have a few projects that are even still ongoing. We've shipped a couple of machines this year as well. So uh, that's always good. Brett heads up the rebuilding department. So he's over there a lot uh, instructing the workers on how to do certain things. And we fully rebuild Acme's. We'll tear them right down to the casting, you know, sandblast them, paint them, and then start putting them back together, regrind the carriers, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And then put new bearings in and refurbish the machine to what it once was. And then in that process, a lot of times our customers will have us upgrade the clutches or, or other things like that to where now they have a new and improved machine. And then at the same time, if the customer wants to tool up the job at the same time, then we'll supply the attachments for that as well. Do they usually want you guys to turn key the machines for them? Yeah, I'd say it's about 50-50, about half and half want a full turnkey and then about the other half wants the machine, maybe a couple holders on it, but I'd say we would run off about half the jobs. If you turnkey a machine, and I know you can't really answer this because it all depends on the part, but how much more would a machine gathering like a, a rebuilt eight spindle Acme, you're talking 250 to 350 grand rebuilt? 
I know you, nobody's going to like hold your head to the fire and say, what the hell are you quoting this for? But that's about this scale, right? About 250 to 350? Depending on the features and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And then how much more would a turnkey machine cost than a not turnkey? Is that the price for a not turnkey machine? That would probably be closer to the price for a more turnkey solution to where we run off the part in-house and make sure that everything works good and all that kind of thing. All the attachments and stuff work good. It really depends on what the machine is, how the machine kind of starts and that kind of thing. If the customer is supplying a machine, it, that really changes things as well. And then what features the part has have a dramatic difference on kind of the bottom line, you know. Do you guys prefer to rebuild a customer's machine or to provide a new machine for the customer? I know Graf Pinkert, we've always preferred to take a trade in and provide a new machine, but many people have differing opinions on that. What's a better business model? What's what makes more sense? Um, you know, it it really just depends on the customer's need. I, I wouldn't say we have a huge preference on either one. I like having the machine in house and then rebuilding that one and either taking a customer trade or just selling it to them. I enjoy that myself, but it just depends. I couldn't give you a, a true answer on which one's better. And you can be frank with this, or you may not even really, really know. It may just change. But what do you think is a, a better money-making business? The rebuilding these big beasts or selling creative attachments? I know that they go together, but I know from Graf Pinkert, Wickmans are easier to rebuild than Acme's. And we don't do, even though we take them down pretty far, we still don't do nearly what you guys would do with an Acme as far as grinding the stem and there's all the cams to change, et cetera. It just seems like a really difficult business. Now, you guys have a great expertise and people dedicated to doing that. But what do you think is an easier business to make money in? Like you said, they do kind of go hand in hand because while the attachment business is you know profitable and we build some cool attachments for our customers and it keeps us busy. It's more frequent, you know what I mean? But when you rebuild a whole machine, then it's going to cost more than a polygon. So it, it just kind of depends. And you need both though, for the company to, you know, make their bottom line, you really need both businesses. For us, it works really well having both. Yeah. I have so much respect for being able to rebuild any kind of machine, taking it down to nothing, but Acme's, they are difficult. And every used machine has a different story behind it. And you have no idea why it's there, right? Like, why did somebody get rid of it? And a lot of times the machine was running and then either the company closed or was sold and they no longer have a need for that machine. So then it produces some even more interesting questions where, okay, this machine was still running. So how much rebuilding do we need to do on it? Absolutely. That is an interesting question because you guys, you provide like a warranty generally. Yeah. I ran into this with your dad recently when we were trying to partner on a machine together. And there was a question of, you know, what does this customer want? Because you guys have a different expectation when you sell a machine than we do, particularly an Acme. You know, if we sell a Wickman, okay, we can support it. If we sell an Acme, it's like, We'll make sure everything goes fine, but we're not going to be able to send anybody out in the field and we're just not going to make a promise like that. So I can totally tell that you run into an interesting issue of how much do you want to do to it? Because some people, some rebuilders, depending on the machines, they just say it's all or nothing. We just take it down to nothing or, or else. But you guys will do something in between if it makes sense. 
Yeah, if that's what the customer has a desire for and they have a machine where, hey, I just need the carrier taken apart, you know, reground and the new bearings in it, stuff like that, then we'll do that and then do our best to make sure everything else on the machine runs good. But that really depends on the machine and, and the arrangement that we make, you know, at the time of the order. Right. But I mean, if you say found a machine that somebody else wanted to sell and then you had a customer for it, then you run into this sort of in-between area. It felt to me like your philosophy was go all out, try to make sure everything was perfect. It seemed like Brett really wanted to make sure everything was guaranteed with it before they sent it out. I mean, that's a great thing. It's hard to guarantee used equipment. Right. Yeah. And, and definitely our warranty is a little more firm on the machines that we completely rebuild, you know, tear it down to nothing, and then put it back together from stuff beyond that and stuff that's not a full rebuild. And it just kind of depends, you know, on the on the arrangement that's made. Now, people ask us this question all the time, you know, cam screw machines, where is it going? It seems like it's here for the foreseeable future, maybe even outside of the United States. But you guys, your business model relies on people buying Acme's, New Britain's, maybe Wickman's, Davenport's. You guys have done Davenport's even, right? We built attachments for Davenport's. Right. So whether it's the attachments business or the rebuilding business, where do you see this business going? Do you see it as the rebuilding business as something that's going to continue to grow or just kind of like pretty much just stay steady? I definitely think that there's grounds for it to grow. That's for sure. In order for that to happen, people need to have an awareness that cam machines are still relevant because with how high volume the machines are, it's hard to produce the same volume or the same costs on a CNC. So I definitely think for the foreseeable future, there's going to be a place for them in the market because, you know, from hose fittings to parts for cars or whatever, we're still going to have those things. We're still going to have hydraulic fitting. Your high-low still needs cables. It still has to go together somehow. So Right. And if you're going to buy an index, you know, you're going to have to charge a dollar a part. You can't be doing that. Right. Listeners, first, I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for you guys tuning in. I know we have lots of competition out there. Freakonomics, This American Life, Joe Rogan. Also, I just want to let you know, if you have guest ideas or questions for me or Lloyd, we'd love for you to reach out. And if you want to talk about future advertising opportunities, we're very happy to talk to you anytime feel free to email me at noah at graphpinkert.com. That's N-O-A-H at G-R-A-F-F-P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. And now back to the episode. Do you have any thoughts about other types of attachments you may be wanting to get into in the future? This is probably a dumb question, but have you made anything that can go on CNC machines, like be put on a Swiss machine or put on um, a CNC lathe? Or is that basically left up to other companies that do that? It depends on if someone brings that challenge to us. You know, I wouldn't say I'm afraid of looking at something like that and seeing if it's something that we can do. Uh, A lot of our customers are more cam machine shops. So that tends to be the problems that they have or the, the challenges that they face. Well, we do make some holders and things for like a CNC machine, like different cutoff holders and stuff like that for kind of turret machines. But right now, that that's kind of it. I did ha- I did have a customer that was looking at getting a shave head to put on a Swiss machine. I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> but, that is interesting. So what ended up happening with that? Did you, um, did you actually in, make it, it? It's still pending. Hasn't gone through yet, but we'll see. 
I always got the impression that you guys were just sort of like very open-minded. It was like, okay, you want me to do this? All right, we're going to like give it a go. And it doesn't seem like you guys say, no, that's impossible a lot. You really try to figure it out. I'm sure you do are straight with people sometimes though and just go, sorry. Yeah, you have to be, you know, because sometimes some things aren't realistic. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. But a lot of the times, uh, if a problem's brought to us, we're going to do our best to figure out what we can do on it. And we never say that something's, you know, I can't do this without looking into it a lot further, you know, because I don't want to be a part of that kind of company. That's not what we stand for. We want to solve our customers' problems. And to do that, you have to look into them. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Family business. You work with your dad. I work with my dad. You know, I noticed that you refer to your dad as Brett. I've often run into this talking to other dealers who have a similar way about it. Why do you refer to your dad as Brett when you're talking about him in the third person? Um, that's just kind of what I've always done. And I, and I found that for us, that works really well. So that now when I go out to the shop and I want to talk to somebody and I'll say, I'll go ask Brett, you know what I mean? Instead of I'll go ask my dad, I'll go ask Brett if that's okay. So for us, that works. And starting here so young, I've been working out in the shop. I had a desire to not necessarily fit in, but, you know, work well with the other people that were out in the shop. And I was the only kid working here. So I kind of had to find my place in that and uh, not have people disrespect me because of of who I was. So I kind of tried to mitigate that a little bit just to, uh, you know, show that he's still the boss, you know what I mean? And when when I talk to him face to face, uh, I call him dad, of course. Yeah, it always weirds me out when people and and no offense if people do this, because I know that there's people with perfect relationships with their parents that do this. But when they call their parents by their first names, like to their face, I always find it a little weird. Don't you find that weird? I do. Yeah. And I try to avoid it. I, I, I catch myself sometimes like if I'll say, excuse me, Brett, when he's talking to other people or something, I'll do that. But that's about it. I, I don't come into his office and say, hey, Brett, because he's my dad, you know? Yeah. Well, that's good. I don't know. It just, to me, it seems like it's dysfunctional or something, but I, I, I could be totally wrong. So you came to work when you were really young and you've got an interesting thing to navigate because you're not the boss. Maybe you are the boss. I don't, I don't exactly know the dynamic, but you're not the owner at this point, correct? Right. He's the boss. Right. But you're still not exactly the same as a regular employee. Do you feel like you've been able to navigate that well? I think so. And I, I think I think I've been able to navigate that well for a couple of reasons. One is that I've tried to stay, you know, in my place. I, I try not to, you know, overextend my reach. And I've tried not to do that, you know, over the years, especially when I was, you know, 17, 18. I didn't have any authority here. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't the person calling the shots and I wasn't the one making the decision. So I definitely tried to keep that in mind. But yeah, other than that, uh, when people start, I try to make an impression that I understand that I'm the boss's kid and you may or may not have had an experience where the boss's kid took advantage or something like that. But I want to show that I know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? I've done most of the jobs out in the shop and I try to be very knowledgeable about that. And I try to you know, be a good leader, not because I'm the boss's kid, but because I know what I'm talking about and I put the work in to understand what's going on in the shop. Well, I mean, that's impressive as you're 23. I'm just about 42 and it's still, there's just sort of an interesting dynamic where you're, you're not exactly one thing. You're not exactly the other thing. 
it's a fine line, that's for sure. And it's a, it's a difficult field to navigate, especially having people who work for us that are, you know, 55. Right. And have, have been there longer than you. Right. Well, as of now, I'm, I've been here the longest. I've, I'll hit eight years this year. And I've, I think I've been here the longest. Our, our previous employee who worked here, uh, she retired. So Well, that helps then. It does. It does. Right. For me, I've been there a little while now, but if there's, if somebody's been at Graf Pinkert twice as long as me, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. So, okay. You work closely with your dad when it comes to the attachments, right? That's correct. Yeah. So what is, what is your role versus his role? Where, how are you, how are you guys working together? Yeah, I'd say he's, he's the idea guy. He looks at a customer's problem and he comes up with, okay, I, I know in my head how I want this to happen. And then I try to take those ideas and then put them on paper. And so we go back and forth a lot on, okay, how do you, how do you imagine this working? And okay, what does this look like with the, the material that we have available or the space that we have available, you know, the mounting, all this stuff like that. So yeah, I, I'm the one that, that puts it in, in CAD or on paper. And he's the one that, that starts the idea process. I'm just imagining you two like in front of a whiteboard and like, one of you guys is like drawing it and the other one. Absolutely. We have a few whiteboards that, that we go back and forth with on, on, a, on every other day. They're, we're drawing something else on a whiteboard, you know, trying to come up with a different solution or, or talking about something that works better versus something that doesn't. Yeah, that's great. No, I, that sounds like a cool environment. I, I suppose some, you could sort of make the comparison with, with my dad and I once in a while, we'll be like figuring a deal with a bunch of machines and my dad likes to get on the whiteboard and like write a whole bunch of different prices. And then of course he doesn't use a calculator. He's got to add it all up in his head. Does your dad work it out in his head? He works out a lot of stuff in his head. Uh, he's got, he's got this old calculator that he uses that I swear is 10, 15 years older than I am. And I can't even figure out how to use it, but I have a graphing calculator that I like a lot. What is the most difficult thing about working with your dad? Or, or maybe it's, it's not hard at all. Um, we've been fortunate that we think very similarly. So we have a good chemistry. Uh, one thing that I'd say that has been one of the most difficult things, and I kind of touched on it a minute ago, but it was knowing my place a little bit, especially growing up and, you know, starting here at 14 and then now I'm 23. So I, I've been here a fair amount of time. So especially when I was younger and kind of knowing my place, cause I wasn't the boss, you know what I mean? I wasn't the boss. I didn't know what I'm talking about. And I don't have any authority. And I kind of had to remind myself of that because I wasn't the run running the show. So you wanted to like go and say, well, what about X? And it was kind of like, wait a second here. It was kind of like that. He's always been good at, at hearing me out and listening to my ideas and stuff like that. And we've had a good chemistry there, but it was more like at the end of the day, it's his decision what happened. I wanted certain things to happen maybe that in his perspective, which was the right perspective, weren't the right things to do. But I, I didn't understand that at the time. And now probably sometimes you say that and he goes, oh, well, yeah, maybe you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, uh, we have a good chemistry. You know, we, we think very similarly and we feed off of each other with certain ideas. And I like to think we help make each other better, even though he, he is still the boss and he definitely has the authority. But I think I, in, in certain things, I try to challenge him a little bit, though it is difficult because he is a very wise man. No, but that's, that's great if you can challenge him and that he's good about it. I, I feel similar 
with my dad. And once in a while, I'm just so, I think I'm so right about something. And then he says, no, I'm, I'm doing it my way. And everybody in the office will be like, what, what the heck is he doing? And then sometimes he totally right. We all feel stupid after that. That's the, uh, that's the curse of being a business owner, right? Exactly. You have to make the decision, even though, you know, nobody else might agree. Everybody else tell him, might tell him that he can't do it, but that takes a, a determination to push past that and make something happen that you know you have the vision on, you know, you can see it happening and then just sticking with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of perspective. Everybody's always talking about young people. Can't get young people into manufacturing. It's, this is going to, you know, hurt this country. And why can't we change this? Okay. So you're 23. You are mechanically inclined. You had a great opportunity. So you're in this racket. What, what, what exactly was your education track? Yeah. So uh, I started off in high school and then I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity where I did. It's, it's almost like a dual enrollment. A lot of places have that where uh, your junior and senior year, uh, some people will go to high school in the morning and then college in the afternoon. Instead of doing that, I, I just went after my 10th grade year of high school, I went to college full time. So I kind of cut my high school education off a little bit short and then ended up getting my diploma later. But, you know, I, I met a lot of different people there and I spent a lot of my time kind of in the engineering and mathematics, you know, building. So that that's what my kind of education was like. Mm -hmm. Do you think an opportunity like that for more people might cause more people to go into trades, might go into engineering? I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of people. I think uh, I, I was very blessed to be able to do that. And then, you know, there's certain avenues at the college that you can take where they're more trade focused. Like there were some shop classes and there were some, you know, machining classes and stuff like that. And I think that's really important. And I think a lot of colleges should offer that, especially community colleges, because those are foundational. You know what I mean? Uh, for a lot of people, it's a lot more affordable. So I think having that opportunity to go into a more manufacturing environment, or at least seeing what it's like and seeing what you can do is very valuable. Sure. Why do you think that we're having trouble getting more kids to go into manufacturing? My perspective on this is that decades prior, there was an atmosphere that was created by more management that was, you know, you come in, you do your job, you go home, you know, you keep your head down, you do what you're going to do, and then you go. And I think as a culture, we've more shifted to where that doesn't cut it in. You know, people want to come to work and feel supported and feel like their opinion matters and that they're making a difference in the company that they work for. And I think that's where we can see a lot more growth in younger people getting involved in manufacturing, especially and stuff like that. That's where my environment is that I, I try to get people excited about coming to work in a manufacturing environment. And I think that a lot of that comes down to the leadership of management. If you're asking somebody to come into work every day, the machine's filthy, you're going to get covered in oil, you're going to get covered in chips, and that sucks. Nobody wants to work for somebody like that. But instead, if, if they come in and management, it's like, I understand that right now, uh, the oil's a problem, you're getting some chips on it. How do we figure out how to do that better? How can I help you do your job better? You're really way ahead of your time. I try to be. You've been like reading business books and... <laughs> yeah, actually. Yep. So my, my dad's given me a couple books to read and or listen to. I, I listen to them on my drive. So. Me too. I only listen to books. I don't read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to drive anyway. What have you listened to? Uh, the E-Myth was a big one that I really enjoyed. The E-Myth? Yeah. Yeah. It's about kind of entrepreneurship and 
how the transition goes from being uh, how a lot of small businesses go from somebody who worked for a big corporation and said, okay, I want to start my own business and what that transition kind of looks like and things to keep in mind. Who's that by? I forget. Yeah. Okay. But it's called the E-Myth. Like letter E and then myth? Yes. He talked a lot about like McDonald's and how that's like a franchise company. You know, how do you set up your company to where if you wanted, you could expand it and kind of talking about, okay, that, that ends up being the most efficient way to do things. If you make your company scalable, then you have a lot of good opportunity or it sets you up well, I'd say. So that's kind of what I keep in the back of my mind is, you know, we're talking about different decisions with the business or other, other stuff. If, if Brett, you know, bounces ideas off of me, then I try to keep that kind of thing in the back of my mind. Like, is, is this going to be efficient? Is this scalable? Stuff like that. Yeah. No, we should talk shop about some more books and podcasts and stuff. I, I probably, I'll have to check that out. Have you listened to uh, like the Dale Carnegie make friends in? I haven't. I haven't. No, but uh, my dad and I have been watching a lot of like Facebook videos, honestly, about different motivational speakers and stuff like that. Like some Dave Ramsey and some Simon Sinek. Oh, I've heard of Simon Sinek. Yeah. So we talk a lot about what he says, actually. Interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll totally have to go over that. I just think that people of all ages now, and I, I hate to say it, but I just have trouble even putting my brain in the brain of somebody who's in their early 20s. But I just feel like we're so used to watching screens, having our phone at our hip. So the idea of running a big steel tank that doesn't have a computer screen on it for hours on end, that's not clean, that's noisy. I mean, look, yes, you can keep an Acme clean, but it's still, you know, you're going to get your hands dirty. I think there's a disconnect. I, I think so too. I think there's definitely a push with uh, the culture that's currently happening with technology that everybody wants to switch everything to technology and everybody loves the newest gadgets and stuff like that, which are great. I love technology as well. And it is good for getting people into manufacturing too, because people go, ooh, computer, CNC machine. Okay, I dig this. But to get somebody to run an Acme, it's different. Right. And, and I found that, that there is something gratifying about taking, uh, you, you called it the other day, a, a beast. You know what I mean? That an Acme is a bit of a beast and you have to tame it. And once you do, it's really gratifying. You get that big machine that doesn't listen to you and you, you tweak it in into where it can make high volume, good parts then there's something really gratifying about that and, and setting up a job and then holding the parts in your hands and looking at numbers and saying, okay, I see that last month we did, we, we made this many parts, but I made these tweaks. Now the machine's cleaner. It runs better. And also there's something gratifying about doing something on it that other people said couldn't be done. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I, I've always found that, uh, that even, even when I modeled up my first attachment, that, that we just had to do a little engineering on a high-speed drilling unit. And it was just a spindle, some bearings, and a spacer. That was it. And I remember modeling it up, you know, going through the whole process, watching the parts get made in the shop, and then holding it in my hand in the end. It was really satisfying. I bet. I bet. Just a couple more questions. What is something that you learned in the last week about anything? doesn't have to do with the business. I'll say, I'll say something about work is that... Uh, I think a lot of people should be given an opportunity in, in the environment that they work in that being patient and explaining a situation to, to somebody is definitely better than having an aggressive mentality. And I, I think that's, that's something that's just highlighted itself to me in the last week 
you know, sometimes that's a, an employee is going to respond a lot better to somebody who wants to help them versus somebody who is just like, shut up and do your job. Because I, I think in today's environment, that just doesn't work. And that, that was really highlighted to me in the last week. And that's why I've been talking about it so much, because it's something that is really important. When you think of the word happiness, what, what does it make you think of? I think happiness comes from doing things in your, in your day-to-day life that aren't necessarily always glamorous, but at the end of the day, you know, you can go to sleep and you can think, you know, I was a good husband or I was a good man today. So I got married this year and that's been something that's... Oh, mazel tov. Yeah. Yeah. Going to bed and, and not regretting anything you did that day and, and thinking, yeah, I, m- I made good decisions today. You know what I mean? You know... I might not have been, you know, the best person in the whole world at this one thing, but you know what? I, I made my wife happy or I made her dinner and she didn't expect that. And th- thinking that at the end of the day is something that's, that's very valuable. That is I a think. great answer. Thank you so much for doing the interview. And I look forward to um, seeing you out in the field, hopefully in the future. I've always, I see Brett, but uh, it would be fun if you could come over to Graf Pinkert sometime and getting to talk to you and meet you and Wish you all the best. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I hope to see you out. At, uh, Brett and I will try to make a trip over to Graf Pinker to uh, see you and uh, go from there. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Thank you.